welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I'm Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbit. And our topic today is partiality. And the reality of this word partiality is that we should show none, no matter who we're talking to or who we're dealing with. And, and what we're going to see as we look at the Bible today is that showing partiality ultimately corrupts justice. Uh, and, and that's, we think of the judge passing judgment on a situation that's been set before them. You know, what, what should be done? What does the law say? What's the right thing to do? But, but we want to extend that a little bit today and, and try to make the point scripturally that showing partiality corrupts justice in all matters of life. If, if there's a group of children playing in a yard and one of them is my kid, you know, and there's, a, there's some kind of discussion or argument about you know, who should go first or, or what, what happened or what the rules are, as a parent, I step in, I have a tendency to want to favor my own child. Uh, I see they're being mistreated or what have you. But we'll see that the Scripture teaches that even that um, corrupts justice. What I need to be able to do in a situation, especially with my child involved, is to say, these are the rules, and if my child's not within those rules, then he needs to be corrected, she needs to be cor- corrected, because the rules exist for a reason. You know, me being the adult and changing the rules so that someone can benefit is partiality. It corrupts justice. And the interesting thing about that is everyone there, including these little kids, know that it's wrong. They can see that it's been an injustice, that your dad showed up and changed the rules, and now you're the benefactor of that. Um, And so we see that in in such a simple example. But the Bible is abundantly clear about this point. I just want to read a couple of things from the Old Testament because we'll see that uh, when you when judgment is passed, um, the judges were always told told not to show partiality. Deuteronomy one seventeen says, "Show no partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be intimidated by anyone, for judgment belongs to God." So we see there, when you're passing judgment, you're you're passing judgment based on the law of God, and don't be intimidated. There may be someone there who could actually potentially hurt you or harm you or threaten to harm you, do not be intimidated. Follow the law of God. Hold it up high and make sure that everyone understands that is the standard. So we have kind of the big guy in the room. We can't cater to him. We can't show partiality so he won't hurt us. That's Deuteronomy one seventeen. Deuteronomy 16.19, do not deny justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Now we have a judge who's tempted to show partiality to someone who can offer payment to him to judge in, in this person's favor. Uh, he has a bribe. The other person doesn't. Will that change the way I judge? And the Lord knows that it does change the way we judge. And it, it destroys what should have been a standard or a, yes, a standard of, of righteousness. Uh, so we know for sure that the strong man can sway the judge, the rich man can sway the judge with a bribe. But there's also the warning in Exodus 23, 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So now we have the judge, his heart's going out to someone who's poor, who needs a break. Uh, if, if I pass judgment the way I should, his life's going to be over. You know, I can't do this to this poor man. Uh, I have the ability to give him a leg up this time and, you know, to change things just once to help him out. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that in a matter of judgment. The law of God is more important than a man in his circumstances. 
in any given moment in time. And I just give you one more Je- Je- Jehoshaphat in first or second Chronicles nineteen. Jehoshaphat comes to the judges. It says in verse nineteen, or chapter nineteen and verse five. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. So Jehoshaphat covers all three right there in his statement to the judges as he's getting the nation back into a position of holiness and righteousness before God. And it doesn't take long to start thumbing through the Bible and to see, as you pointed out, that God is extremely concerned uh, about this issue, even, even as you just noted into the, the points of the law. When you're a judge, don't look on the rich man and favor him for his wealth or his prestige. Don't look on the poor and favor them because they don't have a break and they're, they, they never got, uh, got the right circumstance in life, whatever men's rationale might be. But it, it, I think God is so concerned about this because it does corrupt. And it's because part of his character is that he is impartial. And when you start looking at examples throughout the scriptures, you can see uh, the impartiality of God in action. Uh, look at Rahab, a Gentile prostitute in Jericho, uh, and yet she finds favor in the sight of God because she expressed her faith, and she is saved out of the destruction of the city. Uh, when Israel had reached a point of sinfulness where they deserved to be judged, God didn't let them off the hook just because they were his people. He's impartial when it comes to judging right and wrong and who is acceptable to him and who is not. Uh, He sent Jonah to Nineveh, a great Gentile city, and they (laughs) repented. Uh, (laughs) Even though Jonah was really reluctant because he knew God was merciful. He knew he was impartial and that he would spare these Gentiles if they repented, and he didn't want to see that. Uh, You see Jesus in Samaria. Uh, He meets the woman at the well and gently teaches her, leads her to the realization that he's the Messiah. She runs off and and gets the town, and he winds up staying there for two days teaching the people. Mm -hmm. When Samaria was no man's land for an observant Jew. Uh, In fact, if you were traveling north out of Judea, the, the devout Jews, especially the Pharisees and the priests, would lengthen their journey by actually going around Samaria yep. so they didn't defile themselves by walking in that unclean land. Uh, when Peter meets Cornelius, uh, he understands, he's, he tells Cornelius, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And that is true of all the Gentiles. And so all the way through the scriptures, uh, you see that God is absolutely just and objective in his judgment of people. He sets a standard. It applies to people. When they meet it, everything's good. When they don't, he has to deal with it. And uh, 
nothing alters that except was my standard met or not. And that's something we can be thankful for because we're Gentiles and he has saved us in Jesus. Uh, And even today, he still acts impartially. So when people begin to criticize the character of God in this in this issue, they obviously have not considered the scriptures. Because if there's one thing God establishes is that partiality is not allowed. He doesn't uh, engage in it, and he doesn't want his people engaging in it. That's right. This is such a great attribute. It's a great part of who God is, and obviously he, he reveals that to us, and, and we're supposed to be just like him and to be impartial. And it's great because he has, obviously, Christ has died and shed his blood for his church. He's purchased the church. He's built his church according to his own words. And so he wants the members of the church to be impartial on the on the earthly scale, whether, you know, if it's race or income, all, all the things that we've kind of already mentioned and talked about, those those don't matter in the Lord's church. What what matters, as you pointed out, is the law, the standard, God's eternal truth. And what that does is it levels everything else out. Um, there There is no hierarchy in the church. We, we have uh, the organization of the church. We have elders who, who oversee. They're called rulers or shepherds. Uh, they are those men who've reached the age and the spiritual maturity level that's required by God to, to be in such an office. Deacons are servants. Uh, they are appointed and called upon by the church to serve the local church. But other than that, as far as, I don't like the word hierarchy, but it's, it, is, it is level. And, and I think one of the first times I noticed that being so true is we were studying eldership one time in a class. I, you know, I was still very young in the faith, but um, whoever started the class said, you know, when you look through this list on qualifications of elders, there are some that are specific to a man, you know, must be the husband of one wife and, and ruler of his house. And there's some things that fit just for this man individually. But if you look down that list, every Christian should aspire to have those things said about them. Um, and it really hit me that we're still all held to the same standard. The, the elder, just I don't want to get off on elders, but the, the example of the elder is that he has demonstrated these things in his life, and the church has taken note of it. They, they see that in him. That builds trust and confidence in his ability to lead, to make important decisions. But it really is a level playing field. Jesus is our high priest, and we are a royal priesthood. We are a zealous, a zealous and peculiar people. Uh, there's, the preacher is not the guy in charge, and I love that. Anyone who sits in the pew who's a member of the church is just as much a child of God as anyone else in that room when the church is gathered together. And, and, and Paul makes that clear in his teachings. There's neither male nor female or slave nor free, Scythian or Greek. It doesn't matter. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And so what keeps us there? What makes us one? And what keeps us from one, from one person rising up above another and saying, actually, I'm going to run the show? Well, it's God's standard. And in his standard, in his word, he doesn't allow that. There yep. is no higher position. Someone, if they're doing that, for example, in Third John, we, we're told about Diotrephes, mm. who loved to have the preeminence. Well, he has sinned. And 
whatever he may have been as a member of the church before that, God's not going to let him off the hook on that. He's now taken a position of power and authority in the church that God did not allot to anyone. And in fact, you see the rebuke from the Apostle John toward him concerning that. So here's a person who definitely was showing partiality. Those who were willing to listen to the apostles and were faithful to the truth, he was kicking out of the church and -hmm. would forbid the members to have anything to do with with a, a faithful gospel preacher. Well, that's, that is wrong. It, that does not meet God's standard of righteousness. And God will impartially, uh, righteously deal with that particular issue. Uh, ba- the, the basic qualification, uh, to continue with what Peter told uh, Cornelius, that in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted. So... It's a wonderful thing, really, that we understand and appreciate the impartiality of God because I can look at, look at that and say, that's the standard I have to meet. There, there aren't going to be any games. There's no wiggle room. God's not going to lay that before me and say, by the way, Kurt, uh, you know, how much money is in your wallet? You know, <laughs> you know and that, that's really facetious. But just to illustrate that, there is nothing that's going to corrupt God's determination of who is acceptable to him and who isn't. It's based on his objective and eternal standard of truth. Have you obeyed it or not? Yep. And so I can be comforted by that to know that's all I really need to be concerned with. I don't have to worry about how much I have to, to, to bribe the judge. I don't have to worry about uh, am I wearing the right clothes today to make the best impression. No. Have I met God's standard? And it hasn't changed. And he will mercifully and justly judge based on that standard. That's exactly right. And it we see it over and over and over again in the scriptures. And God has shown it to us more than once, really hundreds of times. Oh, it's we looked at several examples, and I just scratched the surface of those yeah. all through the and it, Old but it's, and New Testament. It's but repeated, so we'll get it. There are tons it? of scriptures. Yeah. Uh, we've already alluded to a few that— emphasize this idea that we are to treat everybody the same. That's right. Uh, doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, where they come from, what their voice sounds like, or any of those subjective qualities. It's based on does God accept them or not? And I can know that by looking into his standard. Exactly. And it'll always be true. And that is the great safety net that we have and that we enjoy. You mentioned Peter in Acts 10. What, what I want to do is kind of just go through some of these passages in the New Testament that talks about God not showing partiality. And that was the first one that I had. And in Acts chapter 10, the Lord has to prepare Peter for his encounter with Cornelius and his household because it's a home full of Gentiles. Cornelius is in Caesarea. Uh, he's a centurion of the Italian regiment. So he is not a Jew. <clears throat> he's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. And the Lord now preparing Peter to go speak to Cornelius. Remember, he sends down on the, uh, the large sheet, led, uh, let down by the four corners, um, all these different animals on it, and God says to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And so Peter says, Not so, Lord. And it, by the way, anytime you find yourself arguing with the Lord, or the Lord tells you to do something and you say, Not so, that's just not a good start. Yeah. Oops. 
<laughs> he's almost too comfortable around Jesus. So Jesus is, says, arise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. And, and but Because Peter can't wait to tell the Lord that he's never defiled himself. I've kept the law my whole life. I am not doing it now. And God says to him more than once, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. That's important. Then he sends him to Cornelius' house after the vision, and he gets to Cornelius' house, as you said, and when he steps inside, it says, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He knows that because the Lord's shown it to him repeatedly and then told him, Go to Cornelius' house asking, doubting nothing, asking no questions. Mm-hmm. So he's followed God's instructions so far, and he says, Look, okay, I'm starting to understand that God shows no partiality. And then verse 35 is the key to it all. But in every nation. Okay, so who is that? Every nation. I think it includes just about everybody. Who's left out? Nobody. excluded. Yeah, no exceptions. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This utterly destroys all racial barriers, all Mm -hmm. income and financial barriers, as you said, subjective, that we gladly put up and keep ourselves separate. And God says, no, I have torn down that wall. I have done it by the cross and by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are now one if you fear me and work righteousness. That is the standard. It can be evaluated in anyone's life, which allows church discipline, doesn't it? If someone is stepping out of ranks or or doing something they shouldn't, uh, they've not kept the instruction of God, and they're openly in sin, the church has responsibility to go to them and say, you better get your act together and in that person, if they're misbehaving, one tendency they may have is, you're picking on me because I'm, you know, I've, I was adopted. Uh, my, my parents aren't believers. That's why you guys keep giving me grief. No, no, that, that can be corrected and we can clearly lay out. Here's why we're in front of you now, because you are doing this. Yep, an objective standard. You're, yeah, you're, you're behaving in a way that is not consistent with the word of God. And so church discipline can be laid down by the standard. It has nothing to do with who you are, where you were raised, or, or what your previous life was about. It's always the standard. I think it's such a great thing that we have that I, I really believe that it just levels everything out. Yeah, and, and it, like I said, it gives us confidence and comfort uh, because whatever whatever situation arises, especially in a spiritual context, you know, within the church or whatever, uh, I know that the standard's not going to change. And even if I'm, if, let's say I'm addressed, you know, you did something or whatever, uh, I can point out you're not, you're not approaching this correctly. Uh, for example, if, if, if I'm being dealt with unfairly, I'm, you know, whatever the circumstance might be, that standard still applies. Uh, you're judging me based on something that is not found in Scripture, or, or you're judging me in a way that the Scripture does not authorize. Yep. And so I may be wrong, but you need to be right. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, you need to deal with it correctly. And if I'm right, you know, if, if I'm being falsely accused, then that will come out too because you're stepping outside of that standard. And now you're coming after me for some subjective reason. Who knows what it might be? But now if we stay within the standard that God has ordained, that can be cleared up too. Absolutely. And dealt with. Absolutely. So it, it, it just works. 
uh, in everything. It sure does. In our personal relationships, in the function of the church, uh, you know, whether it's secular or spiritual, it doesn't matter. That's right. It applies in all aspects of life. It absolutely does. It's what God expects from us. As I said, we're going to read through just a couple of passages, and these are not just to rattle off where we find the word partiality. These verses are for all of you who may be listening that I think Acts 10, 34, 35 is so important to the conversations that we end up in today about, you know, they will or they won't accept me because I'm this or I'm that. We should all be ready to say, let, let me show you something in Acts chapter 10, because this is what God has said. I, I don't know how you're being treated where you attend or, or what people are saying about you or, or who you are or your background, but God doesn't approve of that. And, you know, Acts 10, 34, 35, God shows no partiality. Uh, those who fear him and work righteousness are accepted by him. And so the next one I have is Romans 2. Again, another very important passage for us. Verse 6 says, God will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. It's the same statement, isn't it? That God judges and evaluates man by what he's done in the flesh. And if you've done these things, if you do not obey the truth, which, as you and I said, for church discipline, that can be examined. And we, we can make the correct choices and, and take the correct steps in correcting someone who's who's in error because they've, they've obviously not held up to the standard that God has provided for all of us and so you can't say yeah I'm with you I'm a Christian I'm part of the church and, and be acting the way that you are because God says no you're not and it's it's important for the church to recognize hey you're you know you're not where God wants you to be and you can't be called a part of this body when you're working counter mm. or working against God's will that those two cannot sit together and again it has nothing to do with your past or or who you are in the fleshly sense it has to do with your carnal behavior in, in this case exactly it's what you're doing and not who you are that God looks at yeah exactly it's, and it's there every time Ephesians 6 in verse 9 mm -hmm. Ephesians 6 9 says and you masters do the same things to them giving up threatenings knowing that your own master is also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So to the man who's in charge, the boss, you know, the manager of the store, do not mistreat your position of authority and abuse those who are under you because you have a master too. And that goes for every boss in the world. Whether he thinks he has a master or not, he does. And he will answer to that master. And so he better behave himself. And that's a good point that the truth doesn't change based on whether we believe it or not. That's right. The truth is the truth and will be judged by whether we believe it or not. That's so right. There's that impartiality again. The truth <laughs> is the standard. Yes. And that is what comes out in judgment and is set before us. You're measured up against the standard of truth that God laid out clearly for all of us. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. 
there's no one going to get a pass. If he's done wrong, he's going to answer for it and he will pay for it because God does not show partiality. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 19. These are passages that we hope you'll be able to use either in your own life or maybe a discussion with someone else. 1 Timothy 5, 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, it's going to be the same message. (laughs) Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear because the standard's the same. If someone's being rebuked in the presence of everyone for their misbehavior, everyone in the room goes, oh no, they're serious about this rule. It's God's rule and this guy's been abusing it and I, I need to make sure I'm in line because... This group, this church, will not let sin slide under the door and be a part of the working of God. It, it is our duty and it's our responsibility. Rebuke them, and, and Paul makes clear to Timothy, do it in front of everyone so that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with, with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. So, I mean, right there, 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 22, we see the instruction given if someone is in error. And then we see the instruction that is given directly to Timothy. Stay consistent. Do not show prejudice. And do not do these things with partiality. And for Timothy, a young evangelist, would really tear into a guy that he just didn't like anyway. But then his buddy that he grew up with you know, I think especially for a young man, it'd be harder to say, oh, well, I tore into brother so-and-so about this. And now my friend who I love and care deeply about is now involved in it as well. I have to rebuke him in the presence of all because that shows I'm not showing partiality. And doesn't that keep me honest? Yeah, that now that's a it's easy for a preacher to fall into that if he's not careful. Uh, you treat some brethren differently than others because. They're closer to you than the other one might be, or whatever the situation is. And yet, Timothy is to imitate Jesus. Jesus didn't show partiality, so you don't either, Timothy. You rebuke anyone who needs to be rebuked. That's right. You can praise anyone who needs to be praised. But it's all that rebuke and that praise is based on what they're doing in relation to what God has revealed. That's right. Keep it the same. And if, you, if you're not going to do it for one because he's your buddy, then don't do it to the other one. That's right. Do not use this as a tool against someone who deserves consistency and, and, and an impartial judgment in, in whatever is happening. And just for, for those of you who may not know, Kurt and I attend services together, and we are close friends. I mean, I, I, I think. And, right? Well, yeah. I guess. Okay, so, so we're close friends. <laughs> I'm and not showing any partiality here, Danny. Well, very good. Well yeah, done. Danny and I get along real well. And so there's there's a tendency for me to show favoritism to Kurt in yeah. some situation within the church. And and it could be that a member would say, oh, well, you know, y'all are doing that podcast every week and you become mm-hmm. buddies and you won't talk to Kurt the way you talk to me. And so just I just want everyone to know for that reason, that's why I'm extra hard on Kurt. <laughs> I, I do my best to kick yes. him around and make sure he knows. And I feel it every every week. Keeps me humble, I guess. <laughs> but but it's good. You see the as application long, as long there. As you're getting on me uh, based on the standard. That's right. Then, then, I, I then I'm it. your best friend. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Yep. If, if I show Kurt partiality, just as an evangelist, 
and I'm tearing into somebody else about something that is truly wrong or sinful, and I'm giving Kurt a pass, then Kurt's really not my friend. Yeah. You're because not, I'm letting you, you go don't on. You care about my spiritual well-being. Yeah. So, it's again, important. it goes back to the initial point. Showing partiality corrupts justice, God's justice. Yeah. And you end up hurting the very one that you're trying to show favoritism to. Be consistent. Tell them the truth because the truth never changes. God does not change, and we will all stand before him. And so be consistent. Do the best you can, and do not change your tone or your attitude from one person to the next. It works with parenting too, doesn't it? you got five or six kids. Uh, there may be one that you're just more inclined or drawn to because of the personality or whatever it may be, but you do not change the rules of the house. I mean, how awful is that when the kids start to pick up on it? Well, as soon as you do show partiality, whether it's in the family or in the church or whatever it might be, that's going to be picked up on. And you have just lost your credibility. Absolutely. You've just lost any influence for good because people will see, oh, he he plays it both ways over here. He's, uh, you got to get on his good side. And boy, that's destructive. It really is. In the workplace, if if a manager shows its favoritism, it's destructive from top to bottom. The people who have been mistreated because of the favorite over here, uh, they're not happy. That's obvious. Yeah. But the one who's been favored and realizes he's favored, you think he's going to work harder or do better? His tendency is to, to, to continue to see how far he can go without getting in trouble. You know, the, the uh, example of Joseph just popped into my mind with his family. Oh, man. Uh, his father showed him great partiality. Why? Because he was the child of, of uh uh, Rachel. That's right, his beloved so, wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so he loved Joseph more than the other sons. They picked up on it. They sure did. And so there might have been a little arrogance there with Joseph, too, in realizing that because he wasn't hesitant in telling everybody about his dreams, <laughs> which then brought about a lot of resentment on their part because, oh, well, look at this. The favorite son is really lording it over us. He's gonna—he's telling us that we're gonna worship him. Give me a break. Never. He's not even the firstborn. So you see how damaging that was in the family when that partiality was shown. Yep. And so th- there can be no place for it in the family, in the church, in the workplace, uh, at school, whatever the situation might be when you're dealing with other people. Keep it on the level. That's right. Partiality corrupts justice. Uh, we'll look at one more. J- James 2. This is mm. James is such a great book of application, spiritual application. James is, is very good about saying, okay, here's how this works. Here, here's a scenario where you can see this uh, working out and you can see the error or the righteousness in it, depending on what the example is. So James 2 and verse 1, just think about all that we've talked about in, in showing partiality. He says, my brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. 
Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the, the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So it's that classic case. Two men walk into a room. What's the carnal tendency we have? Yeah, we're going to favor the best looking one. Yep. Oh, he must be, he must own a business or he must be important or have, have a lot of money. This guy obviously has, he he's, needs a shave and whatever. We, one thing I was thinking about through all of this is when uh, God told Samuel to go and anoint the next king of Israel. Oh, yeah. And so he goes to the family of Jesse and looks at these strapping young men. And, oh, surely God's anointed is before him. And God had to point out, Samuel, <laughs> God does not judge according to appearance. He judge, judges according to the heart. That's what he looks at. Well, we can't see the heart, so we tend to judge based on appearance. We sure do. When actually what we ought to do is give that relationship time and judge it based on what that person does. That's right. What their behavior is and not the clothes they wear or whatever externals there might be that would tend to influence us one way or another. That's right. And James gives us the rich versus the poor. It, like I said, it's a classic example. It helps make the application, but it's far bigger than that. The application is given so that we would say, okay, I see the error in that. I shouldn't show partiality. And yet you'll find it in, in the church that, you know, we, we have churches try to set up these uh, 50 and 55 and older clubs and, you know, oh, yeah. and, and we, we have a tendency for that too. I say, if I see two people walk into the building, one's about my age and the other one looks like he's about 95 or so. I'll, I'm drawn to and want to spend more time and see if there's any um, similarities or common interests I have with the one who's closer to my age. Just by way of a quick carnal reasoning that I'm more likely to have something in common with the one who's my age than one who's far older than I am. And it's partiality and it's sinful. If they both come into the assembly, as James has pointed out, then both of them, I, you know, I don't know who they are. They may or may not be Christians. They both have a spiritual interests. I can assess that much. Mm -hmm. So which one should I favor? Neither. Yeah, or both. <laughs> exactly. Show both of them the favoritism yeah. and the partiality that they deserve give as them visitors. Both some attention and welcome them or you know whatever it takes. That's right. Because I notice that they've come here and they care about the things of the Lord. Yeah. So just on the surface, that's what I need to take. And that's what I need to move with. And I just it really bothers me that I see um, older people, I understand why, but there's older people within the church who sit over in the corner by themselves and then the young people gather up somewhere else and they never cross over those barriers because they don't think they have any, anything in common. And I'm screaming, yes, you do. Jesus Christ brings us together. Yeah, it's there. There is a tendency among many churches, unfortunately, to segregate groups. And one thing that's really troubling to me is seeing this practice now of basically dividing a congregation based on how they like to worship. Oh, yeah. And what I'm talking about is I'm seeing more and more churches uh, dividing the congregation, saying we're going to have uh, traditional songs at the 9 o'clock hour, and then we're going to have contemporary songs at the 11 o'clock hour. Be why? Well, because there are people who 
don't particularly like the new music. They prefer the older. And we have those who, you know, maybe don't relate to the old favorite hymns. They, li- they like what appeals to them now. Yep. Well, what have you done just now? You've divided that church because of partiality. That's right. We're going to favor this one group and what they like to hear, and we're going to favor this one group over here based on what they like to hear. Now, you can argue, well, you're not showing favoritism to one or the other. You're just giving them the worship they like. Well, in showing that difference between them, you are showing partiality because you've made a distinction. You're now setting the church up based on that distinction, and you wound up dividing it. That's right. Oh, we have a situation where you sing over here at this time, and you sing over there at that time. In two different ways. In two different ways. And yeah. somehow God's pleased with both. Yeah, somehow that's going to work out. I, that's, I don't find that standard in the Scripture. It's absolutely not and there. It's, it's a, to me, it's a terrible trend. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that there are contentions among you. Each one of you says, well, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. The very next thing Paul says, is Christ divided? Mm. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he's saying, you, you cannot. They're showing partiality too. I'm yeah. a, I'm a, I was taught by Paul, therefore I'm of Paul. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Pauline Christian. You guys. Yeah. And Paul says, how dare you? Yeah. Paul, Cephas, Apollos, none of these died for you. Only one has died for you. You are one in Jesus Christ. Do not do this wickedness. And so just as you pointed out, it happens a thousand different ways where the church is trying to be splintered to continue to appeal to different groups based on those outside things. And I've said this before, but it, to me it's looking at, the let's say, the 15-year-old kid who was baptized two weeks ago. He loves the Lord. He's been baptized for remission of his sins. And we have the 95-year-old saint who is also in the same room. On the, I've, I've said this to you before, but that grand scale of time that God's seen fit to put the 95-year-old and the 15-year-old in the same room, in the same body, at the same time. So the age that they find so much difference between the two of them is insignificant yes. <laughs> from the time Christ died on the cross to 2023. Yeah, We're in a tight window. Just to, to add a paraphrase to Colossians 3.11, where Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek nor circumcised or uncircumcised. There's n- not old or young either. That's right. They're both in Christ, and they can both benefit each other. Absolutely. Based on the views of their age, the exuberance and the excitement of that young new Christian can help to kind of fire up the 95-year-old. But his wisdom and his experience and his stability and maturity can help that babe in Christ as they grow. That's right. So it's a, it's a you get rid of that artificial man-made division that we love to introduce, and you have parts of the body benefiting each other to the growth of that body and the, to the knitting of itself together in love, as, <laughs> as Paul says. That's right, Ephesians 4, just as God designed. Yeah, and that is seeing the way it should it's be. It's just a beautiful thing. We see his wisdom and his his love in all of that. That's fantastic. So I hope, I hope we've done a good job here of laying this out. Obviously for ourselves, but for those who are listening, 
that it goes beyond uh, the rich and the poor and those it, it, partiality can can reveal itself in a lot of different ways and just trying to guard ourselves against that uh, to keep the standard in front of us um, that God's provided so that the rest can flow out as it should by God's design. Uh, we have trivia questions. We have trivia questions. Okay, um, they're not trivia. No, they are not. They are found they're, in the Word biblical. of God. Yeah. Yes. Let me go first. Okay, we can do that. Thank you. <laughs> um, not show any partiality here. Trivia, sweet trivia. Jesus will respond the same way three times when he's tempted by the devil. How does he start each response? Uh, basically by saying, if it, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Oh, no, no. Oh. Let's go back to the temptation of the devil. Oh. You were thinking of the prayer. Oh, okay. The, the, oh, oh, I'm sorry. In the garden. I wasn't even hearing you right there. Did not even listen to my yeah, trivia well, questions? The three th- common things he says is, it is written. <laughs> that's <laughs> or is that not what you were looking for? No, that's right. It's just it's funny to me that I okay. I ask you a question and you just made up your own question. You're I like, guess so. I'll answer my question. I'm trying to be impartial here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you you didn't budge. You were correct. He oh says boy. it is written Matthew chapter four verses three through eleven all three times. And there's something there, isn't there, about standards? Yeah. Yep. You can tempt me all you want, but it is written, and nothing yeah, that's that, what he's going to go by. Nothing can change that. I'm not going to be swayed. See, the problem is we just had the big ice storm, and I still have a frozen brain, so yes, I'm, me I'm too. struggling with that. Okay, here's, here's my first one. Uh, which of Joseph's brothers offered to become a slave in order to save Benjamin? Now, this would have been, of course, when they went to Egypt, yep. and Joseph was uh, dealing with them, trying to, trying to learn several things and also to... To teach his brothers something. This is Judah. It is Judah. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Joseph had said, okay, you leave Benjamin here and then go go get your family. And Judah came up to him and said, you know, you, my dad will die. This will kill him if I don't bring Benjamin back. Uh, so please let your servant, me, standing in, in his stead. That's right. Uh, you take me as a slave and let him go, and if they don't come back, then I'm your servant forever. Judas um, showed some amazing yeah, character it, there. It's, a, it's what Joseph wanted to see. It where sure his was. brothers were now spiritually, because it's at that point that he reveals himself. He passed the test. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. What's the, pa- what's the passage for Judah? Oh, that Judah? was in Genesis 44:33. Yeah. Thank you very much. All of chapter 44 is great because Judah finally tells the entire truth yep the, in the, the inter- all through the out. chapter that's, yep. that's awesome okay question number two for kurt and for the rest of you the parable of the wheat and the tares um the servants realize that someone has come in and planted tares amongst the wheat uh, and they're going to just pull it all out but what does the owner say that they should do he tells them no don't do that because you might uproot some of the good grain right with with the weeds so wait till the harvest, and then we'll separate them. That's right. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and then we can tell the difference, and we can still get the wheat, separate the tares, and they shall be cast into the fire. Matthew 13 and verse 30. Very good. All right. Well, here's, here's our concluding question for the day. Uh, in the book of Acts, what servant in the church 
at Jerusalem had four daughters who prophesied. Philip the Evangelist. This is correct. Very yes. good. Acts nice. chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. Paul went to stay with him, and uh, Luke mentions that he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Yeah. So Philip was quite an in, uh, influential individual. Yeah, awesome uh, guy. In the church there. He sure was. Very good. Well, we did well, didn't we? Yeah, we hung in. You even answered a question that wasn't asked. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, I can cover all the bases. As long as I get the answer right, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Assuming you're correct. No. Nice. My brain was out in left field on that one, so. That's all right. Thanks, we, thanks for roping me back in. Yeah, I was going to say, we corralled you back. Yeah. No problem. Well, we hope that you all did well also on the questions. We also uh, you know, want to stress again this, this idea that partiality is a very, very dangerous thing in, in the subjective and carnal sense of it. It can take us places and, and really injure people that we didn't even intend to injure or actually intended to favor. But partiality, holding a rule, whether it's in your house or in the Lord's church, is a beautiful thing because everyone that's involved knows the rules. They're not adjusted. They're not lessened or strengthened based on who's in front. They are consistent. It shows great leadership. It shows godly character, and it will always lead to the right conclusion. Showing partiality corrupts justice. So don't do it. We hope that you hope, we hope and pray that you have a blessed week and that the rest of your week is a strong one in the Lord and in service to Him.